Africa Afeni Mills is an education consultant and the author of Open Windows, Open Minds, Developing Anti-Racist, Pro-Human Students. Africa is all about helping teachers, coaches, and administrators develop and sustain student-centered learning experiences that are diverse, that are inclusive, and that are equitable. Africa is brilliant at providing the essential support that enables, empowers really, educators to become dynamic practitioners and leaders who can trust themselves to create fun, relevant, student-centered, anti-bias, anti-racist, culturally responsive learning environments that are an inspiration to all participants. Education consultant may be Africa's official job title, but this work is so much more than a job job to her. So much more. You'll hear it when you listen to her. Welcome to the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. My name is Nini White. I am your host, and as always, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share this enriching conversation with you. Oh, and of course, be sure to check out this show's notes for some valuable resources provided by Africa. Okay, let's get started. Africa Afeni Mills. This is, uh, I'm just, I've got tons of energy for this conversation. I, so do I. I. We're going to have a good, uh, we'll have a good time. <laughs> good, good, because I love your energy. So, yes, thank you. Um, I read something that you wrote that I thought was so important, so meaningful, so helpful, so real, so um, actionable. So we're going to, our conversation will be kind of around that. Okay. So we can go in any direction that we become inspired about too. Absolutely. Fabulous. Okay. So good. So I want to start with the fact that you encourage teachers to honor each child in their classroom. And and of course, teachers want to do that. But sometimes it's a little bit harder when the kids' experience is so, so not, uh, you know, what we're used to, what we've seen, what we've been grown up and become comfortable with. But... um, Teachers need to do that so that all kids can grow up to be the, their best selves. Yeah. So yeah. you have ideas, very specific ideas from what I read, how teachers can help kids develop into their most constructive, engaged, grown-up selves. Yes. Uh, but yes. even today, be those right. people. So, yeah, absolutely. So, good. Let's hear it. All right. So honestly, I feel like The first step that we need to take, and I'm coming from the perspective of having been an educator for the past 20 plus years, both I think of it in terms of being a classroom teacher and then a teacher educator, but also too, because my husband and I, I was going to say my husband and I have, we do not own them. So I want to change that framing. Um, (laughs) Our daughter, Serena, is about to be 21 this year. And our son, Cairo, is about to be 20 this year. And so I think about myself as a teacher, not only in in a traditional classroom, but also as a parent. And I do believe that as an educator, it should be when it's working in its best, it should be a mutual experience. And so the first thing I would say, as far as like 
helping and supporting um, students as they're becoming their most engaged selves is to make sure that we have had that experience ourselves. And in a lot of ways, like I'm very, very aware of and mindful of the fact that the type of learning experiences that we have come to learn are the most engaging and fulfilling for students may not have been what we had when we were in our K to 12 experiences, unless we've had a very fantastic, very untraditional childhood. I think most of us grew up being like, okay, you come, you sit at your desk or you sit at these tables, you take these quizzes, you take these tests, you shoot for the A, right? You, you play the game of school to get, you know, not necessarily focused on learning, but to be able to get the credentials that you right. need for the future. Right. Whereas for me, it's like, I think credentials, I mean, they definitely have their place, but when we think about children, and their natural wonder and their natural curiosity and what we've all grown up having as kids. The fact that, that that schooling gets to the point where that type of curiosity and wonder, it it's diminished as they go along, right? So I think the probably the best thing we can do is to bring that type of wonder and curiosity back into the way we engage students in their learning experiences because they have it, but somehow along the ways, like I'll speak like speaking for myself as an educator, I was teaching fourth and fifth grade and those in um, in the state that I was in at the time are grades where they have state mandated testing. Right. And so I was like, as much as I really want to just get into like having these great rich conversations with students, I'm very aware that the, my effectiveness as a teacher is going to be determined by the outcome of these tests. <gasps> very tempting to just focus on testing, right? Because you get into a, an ego space, honestly. Right. Like I don't want to be seen as, I want to be seen as a highly effective teacher. Right. So I want to make sure the kids are ready for the test. And that's a very different learning experience than yeah. true learning. So to your question, I think in order to do that for students, we have to be bought into that ourselves. And in a way that requires some courage because that's not necessarily how schools are set up. Yes, courage, key yes. word. Yes. And, and, but the rewards with courage are massive. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So amazing. Yeah. And, um, but there can be a price to pay, but still I want to hear, um, like, let's say with a, what's the youngest grade you ever taught? The youngest grade. See, that's an interesting question. Cause I started before I got my master's degree, I was a building aide. And so I mostly spent time in a fifth grade classroom, but I've also spent time in K through K through five, and then also in like lower middle school. Okay. Um, and then also supported teachers who worked like K through eight. So I've had experience with like, mostly my personal experience has been with K through eight. Okay. Um, me too. I even taught high school. I, oh, okay. I landed personally with middle schoolers. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> just love those kids. I was going to say, that's a beautiful thing. Cause so many people are just like, Oh, middle school. It's just like, don't hate on the middle schoolers. Oh, no, no. Yeah, right? that, there's some rich learning that goes on during those ages. Oh, yeah. fascinating. For teachers and students. <laughs> for sure. For yeah. sure. Uh, but this podcast is basically early childhood educators. Okay. So okay. I always like to keep conversations so that uh, listeners can go walk away and say, oh, I could use that. I can use that oh. right today. Yes. So, yes. so give us one thing that can help all kids in a, in a very diverse classroom 
do what we're talking about, feel yeah. they're seen, feel that yeah. they're seen, heard, whatever. Do, yes, do I have a couple of examples that come right. to mind for some educators, especially that I've had the opportunity to collaborate with in different ways. Right. So the first one that comes to mind for me is a teacher who believe her, her students were kindergarten students okay. and uh, fabulous. I loved talking with her because she was so like, I think, I mean, this as a quick aside, I feel like the best learning that we do is when we are vulnerable and bring humility into the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So we're able to admit where we make mistakes and where we have learned, maybe we didn't expect to be learning, right? But we've learned and changed, right? That courage so element again. Yes, exactly. Okay. And that openness, openness, like, and that's why I'm like, I'll say this quickly too, like, that's why I don't really like the word woke because I'm just like, that that insinuates that you're done, right? There's no more right. learning left to do. It's like, right. we're never, I'm like, awakening, yes. Woke, no, not, not I, I don't, see things that way thank you but anyway this, this particular teacher talked about how in one year she had a student who um, was hearing impaired and so she had bought a, a decent amount of books for the class library that talked about um, hearing disabilities and disabilities and that group of kids got to really learn quite a bit that they may not have learned otherwise without her intentionality around mm -hmm. that topic in particular and then when she had her next group of students the next year and she was going through her classroom library, her first thought was to take those books and put them away because she's like, well, I don't have a student who's hearing impaired this year. But then she was like, however, just because that student is not actually present in this classroom doesn't mean that my students this year can't learn from those books. So she's like, so I'm not going to put them away. I'm not going to make a decision to teach um, only if I feel like someone with that identity is in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was one thing that I feel like I was able to learn from her, where she just really, you know, was really thinking about like, what do students need to learn, not only in response to who is in the space, yes. but also just who's in the human family, right? And so I was like, oh, I think that that's incredible, right? So that's one example that comes to mind is that when we're you thinking said, about- who's in the human family, thank you. Family, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yes. I mean to interrupt, but I love that. No, no, please do like this is the conversation. Good, good yes. <laughs> good, good. But I love that. And it's not something I thought about, but I'm like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. I'm like, oh, because I think the message we get a lot of times is we want to make sure that every student in our room who's in front of us feels seen. And that's absolutely true. Yes. And also, right? So it's not a but, it's an both and. It's like, yes. and we also want students to be very aware of, you know, of all people, right? And so that'll connect to my second example. This example is from a teacher who teaches second grade. And um, she, oh my goodness, like when I think about like the conversation I have with her, I'm just like, I would love to like time travel and yeah. be a second grader in her room because yeah. just the way that she talks about like, anyway, I'll just tell you instead of like describing it. She starts the year, she does have the, you know, the ability to teach thematically, which I think makes a big difference in what she's able to do with, with her students. Okay. So she starts out like the, um, the whole theme for the year is like what, what makes a person. And so she starts out with one of mm -hmm. Memfox books and it talks about like what makes somebody a human being, right? And what so- What was the name of the books? What'd you say? I think it's like whoever, I think the book is, is by Memfox. I believe it's called Whoever You Are. Okay, okay. And so basically what she does with her students is she takes them through this journey, like she reads the book with them. And then she goes through a conversation and she's just like, you know, well, what makes a person? And you know how little kids are, there's like, you have to have two eyes. And she's like, okay, I know that that's your usual experience. What if a person doesn't have two eyes or doesn't have eyes? Are they still a person? And like, yes, they are, right? And then they yeah. keep describing 
what makes a person, they have two arms, they have, you know, they have two ears, they have, right, or they have a brain, they have a skeleton. And so every time they put something forward, she asks, well, what if that's different about them? Are they still a person? Wow. And the kids start thinking about it. It's like, well, yeah, just because you may look different than I expect you to look or what my experience tells me, it doesn't mean that you're not like me right? That we're not all people. And then she just builds on that same concept. And it's like, okay, well, if we're all people, how do we make sure that everyone is treated fairly? What are some things that happen that are not fair? And right. And so she talks about that and then basically culminates with these second graders developing this project where they get to be, they embody a person who is a change maker and they take a deep dive into learning about that person. They depict this person. It's just, I'm like, what an amazing experience wow. as like a seven-year-old, right? And so to your question, I think a lot of it has to do with like, you know, these are kids like in both examples, one class is like a kindergarten class, another class is a second grade class. And I think in a lot of ways, we assume that young children, like we think, oh, we can't really talk to them about race because we'll, we'll introduce the concept of racism to them if we talk about them. Like, actually, yeah. they've already noticed. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they've already noticed. And so right. we're not really protect us. Actually, we're doing them a disservice because we're not giving yes. them language to talk about what they're noticing, right? Right. Yes. And so I think when I think about the littles, yeah. um, I even think back to, I'll talk out loud, I'll tell this one last story, then I definitely want to, you know. No, I, wanna... I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, so my son, my son now, I tell you, he's he's 19, he'll be 20 right. at the end of the year. And he was, so we have two children and he was a child who was, I think I would say loudly curious. And so without fail, if, it, if we would go anywhere and he noticed anyone who looked or sounded differently oh. and he, he would loudly say, yeah. notice the difference. And I would be like begging him. I'd be like, please, please yes. just wait until we get in the parking lot. Like I'll yes. answer anything you want me to answer. Yes. And he's just like, no, we got to do it now. Like yes. <laughs> we got to do it right now. And I feel like in a lot of ways I was, I did him a disservice because I was just trying to hush him. Uh -huh. But it was because of me because I felt like I would be embarrassed. I didn't know what the person might think of me right. or what the mom that I was if my my son asked something that I thought could be perceived as rude when actually he was noticing difference as children do. And we just need to be able to answer the question, right? Okay. So like Beverly Daniel Tatum talks about her son. I think he was four in preschool and he came home. She's a black woman. Her son is also black. I think, yeah, he's he's black. Not, I thought maybe biracial, but no, he's a black child and he he's a black man now, but was a black child at the time. Yeah. And so he said, mommy, my friend told me that I, my skin is brown because I drank too much chocolate milk. Is that true? And she oh. said, no, baby, like, <laughs> no. And so then she just described what melanin is. Yes. And then he was like, oh, okay. And then he kept it moving, right? Yeah. But for us, we usually just like, oh no, they're noticing color differences. We gotta shut that down, right? We think that talking about race is racism, but it's not. It's just difference, which we talk about all the time, right? Oh God, I love those examples. They're really yeah. helpful and they're meaningful. Yeah, one of the things that gets me, sets me on fire is when people underestimate kids' ability to to comprehend and and absorb new concepts. You know. Absolutely. And, and grow their language and their vocabulary and their, you yes. know, and, and to ex expand their thinking from just horizontal to vertical the way that second grade teacher was doing. Yes, absolutely. To deepen it, right? To start with something that feels yes. familiar and to take them on a journey, right? Like, exactly. Oh, like journey. <laughs> right, right. Because the way you started out this conversation, we all know that the research is just, you know, it's just 
ubiquitous that, you know, kids' curiosity is just, it's just everywhere, loud or quiet, whatever. <laughs> loud. Yep. And, um, and, and we don't have to do anything to, to make that happen, but we do have to do something to not kill it. Exactly. Yes. And I honestly think, I mean, I know we're talking about like younger students and I feel like this is the place where we need to lean in more because our, I think it's like, a, it's not, we're not naming something correctly, right? We, I think there's, especially nowadays when we're talking about book bannings and, and, yeah. you know, anti, you know, like anti, anti-racist, <laughs> right? And teaching right. school. Right? right. And so it's like, yeah, we don't want to make kids uncomfortable. We don't want, you know, it's like, yeah, but that's not really what's happening because like, like one of the examples I heard the other day was just like, yeah, this is really telling. There was a mom, I think she was part of a group who was trying to like protest, you know, against like talking about race and difference in mm -hmm. school. And one of her, her points was that her son who had been in second grade, they talked about enslavement and hearing that there had been enslavement made him feel sad. And so I was like, okay. And so she's like, so I don't want him to learn about it anymore. I'm just like, yeah, that's a bridge too far. I think there was a big jump, right? Because honestly, if he feels sad about enslavement, I'm like, don't you want your child to be empathetic, right? Like nobody's talking about telling a, a, a child something graphic that's developmentally inappropriate. I'm of not course. talking about that at all because that's that's malpractice as far as I'm concerned. You don't, you sure. don't say anything child that they shouldn't that they're not capable of being able to process yeah. um, but I'm like with this situation I'm just like just to hear about it it's like is this something that happened you can talk about it in a very basic way to say that there were some people who brought people away from their families it wasn't their choice and they brought them to work and they got separated from their families and they were treated in a very unkind way that's going to make a child feel naturally sad because when they think about being separated from family or when they think about something not having choice they can relate to that. So I'm just like, what, what's the alternative for your child? If your child is not growing up to be empathetic, then what's on the other side of that? That's kind of right. scary. To, you right, know? right. Yeah. Or, or somebody who just, we know people who just won't look at hard stuff. Right. You know, I mean, how many people, I used to be that way, actually, mm. you know, because I just thought I was just too... You know, if I just keep my head just very looking at the positive things, I mean, I'm not happy about this, let me tell you. And it was I not a comfortable it. life because you're like walking on little crunchy leaves or something. Oh, oh, oh. Right. And at one point I just thought, I, I'm not this person. I'm not afraid of stuff, you know, but I kind of was, you know, I was kind of doing the new age thing and meditating <laughs> You know, and I mean, you know, there's some value in just kind of getting rid of stress, you know, but at a certain yeah. point, you know, it's just like, for me, it went way too far. Yeah. And, and this whole thing where you talk about, you know, just be, becoming more aware of and include and connected to feeling that your membership in the human family. Yes. All yes. of whatever has been involved in that, right, is only enriching. Right, exactly. And it's like when I'm, and I can like when you say like you know, there's a way that you are thinking and feeling too. I'm like I can totally relate to that. Like when I, one of the biggest things that helped me to trans to enter into this space, this growth space, yes. is when I got to start thinking about the different ways that I have advantages. 
And I'm like, I do the same thing, right? Like maybe not necessarily racially, although that does manifest in me sometimes uh-huh. when it comes to like being an able-bodied person and thinking about people who are disabled. Right. Or when I think about people who are acquiring English as another language and I've been speaking English my whole life, right? right. It's not because you're mean. It's just right. because I'm like, I can't relate to that, right? It's not, it's right. not my lived experience. And so a lot of times I'm like, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> it's uncomfortable to think about that, right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. But then when you take a breath and maybe what are the options stay with the blind? I mean, what are the options? Let's, let's think about this for a second, right? Keep the blinders on and just stay on this narrow path Mm -hmm. or take them off and take one step forward. That's it. Hey, so I just want to take a moment here to acknowledge that this conversation is one more reminder that there are so many good educators who focus on drawing out the best that is within children. Whether or not it's hard for us to see the best of what's inside those kids in our care some days. And I want to let you know that I've decided to put together a pilot program to teach a small handful of educators how I experienced deeply satisfying connections and success with my own students around the full spectrum of their social, emotional, and life skills development. It was never difficult, but it did take making intentional use of basic human instincts that are born right into all of us, including all the kids in our care, and which I have never seen utilized in any other SEL approach. So if you're interested, send me a PM over in the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook group. It isn't going to be expensive, but it will introduce you to a next-level way for young kids to show up with more of their own problem-solving skills for young kids to effortlessly stretch beyond their own self-limiting behaviors and readily express more of their own built-in desire to connect with others, to get along better and better with others. So the thing is, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, then this pilot program will make so much sense to you because you probably already appreciate the thread that weaves through all of the episodes that I choose to um, share with you, which is the threat of evoking what kids already have within themselves. The threat of drawing out what kids already have within themselves so that they have the advantage of truly owning the empathy, the problem-solving skills, the social skills that will make them happier and more successful so your entire class and you can be happier and more successful too. Okay, I really look forward to connecting with you. So let's get back to where we left off in the conversation. And I think you hit like such like the nail on the head there because I'm like, I think sometimes people have the misperception that once you become aware of something, you have to make a massive change immediately. It's like, no, that's the beginning of your journey. Right. The beginning of your journey when you start to see things differently. Right, right. And when I started reaching out to Black people to please talk to me about this, 
you know, people kept saying, oh, you're so courageous. Actually, I didn't feel it was courageous at all because I had looked at those. <laughs> what are my options here? Don't yeah. do it and stay in my narrow, you know, silo yeah. that is a narrow silo. Blech. Yes. Yes. No, because that's the thing. It's like, what type of life is that really? It, it, it just at life. a certain point, you just feel just, you know, claustrophobic, you know, and yes. just like, and so unreal and so untrue and so ungenuine. Inge right. What's the word? Unge not ingenuine. Disingenuous. Disinge is it that it? Okay. Yeah. All disingenuous. Right. Disingenuous. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, you know, the word courage seems to imply, you know, some giant mountain that you have to climb, but actually, no, you just need to take one step and that's enough courage. Yes. So thank you for reinforcing that because. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it's true for all of us, right? Like I think yes. about that, um, whether it be like the, you know, I believe it's um, the Nottingham learning pit, right? Where it's just like, okay, you're trying to learn something. You go down into the, because I'm like in order to to change that, like, you know, you, there is some discomfort whenever there's change. Think about like the caterpillar in yep. a chrysalis becoming a butterfly or what yep. seed being planted in the ground that has to crack yep. open, whatever, whatever concept we think about. Um, that's all right. It's all something that takes some time and it's uncomfortable, but it's like, you know, like going back to that Nottingham learning pit, it's like, okay, so you're descending into a place. And I, I don't mean to like, because I'm like the descent is, is not intended to be a negative descent. Yeah, it's yeah. more so like, this is where struggle is happening because yeah. in order to come up on the other side, there's going to be some, some heavy lifting, right. That you need to do, right. but you can do that journey and there's support for the journey. One, you don't have to do it by yourself. Right. And then two, when you get to the other side, there's going to be multiple learning pits in your life. It's not like you're going to arrive to the other side and, and be done, but it's like there's help there for you. And when you when you have that experience of learning something different, it just gives you a chance to see something from a different perspective. It doesn't mean that somebody's trying to make you be just like them. Right. It's just like, no, I just really need to know about somebody else's learned, like lived and learned experience, right? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, because when I was in college and then out of college and I saw African-American studies, I just thought, huh, I wonder what that is. And then I never thought about it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. No, there's, no, there's no that's, that was a reality, right? It's you like, know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I'm really sad about that, you know, mm. because how much did I miss for so long, you know, but, uh, you know, now I'm now you know. having that attitude, you know? Yeah. And there's so many resources, I think. I mean, so I, I feel like, you know, like growing up in the family I grew up in, I think I'm thankful that my parents taught me quite a bit about what I'm trying to make the shift between. Cause I used to say like, Oh yeah, like it's black history. I'm like, it's this history of the United States. It's all right. It's all the history yes. of the United States some parts of it that we don't know as well right yeah so they taught me quite a bit that they learned themselves that they taught themselves mostly like they got a bunch of books and they read and they so they taught me what they knew yeah and at the same time when I moved to Boston because I became a teacher in Boston so I grew up in New York City but I began teaching in a different state than where I grew up I'm hearing that accent you hear right and everybody's <laughs> like wait how how did you like you know hold on to your New York self I'm just like yeah I think that's a New York <laughs> But that's the thing, like I showed up becoming a teacher and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm good, right? Like I know how to be culturally responsive because I'm a black woman and it's just going to come naturally. Yeah. And then when I started teaching, I'm like, ooh, I was so wrong. <laughs> because there's a lot of messages that I picked up 
that I was, you know, kind of putting forward to my students that were not healthy either. So for example, my family, you know, grew up with a lot of, you know, challenges and things like that. And at the same time, I'm just like, you know, so we, during the midst, in the midst of those challenges, my parents always prioritized school. They were very involved in school. I did really well in school. And so when I got, got to be a teacher, I'm just like, it doesn't matter what type of challenges you have in your life because you just focus on school, just do well in school and everything will be fine. Right. And then I started to learn about tracking and I was like, Oh, I know why I like school because I was tracked high the whole time that I was in school. There were the way that it was in elementary school was if you were considered like a bright student, you were put in A classes. So I was in the whole time, 1A, 2A, 3A, all A classes. Uh And when I got to fourth and fifth grade, we were like learning Latin and reading Shakespeare. We were doing incredible stuff. But there was a group of kids on the other side of the hallway that I didn't know about who were also in the same grade who were not having that same experience. So I was like, oh, this is more complicated than I thought. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it, it's humbling. It's humbling when you think, you assume things that you don't necessarily understand. Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, that's, I, I love that podcasts are there, that people can just be exposed to all kinds of things and not have, you know, not be wasting any time when you're driving down the highway or something and just get exposed to a whole new, yeah. Yeah, and, while you're washing dishes, right? I do that all the time, like while I'm doing chores around the house, when I'm walking the dog. Yes. Yeah. Keep the learning going. Yeah. Keep the learning going. Um, um, so this is a podcast. It's called the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast. Yeah. And big picture because in my mind, everything is included in social emotional learning. Totally. Right. Yeah. So yeah. tell me, uh, please uh, tell us what you think, how you think this conversation is relevant to the specific, you know, focus of social emotional learning. Yeah, I think, I mean, what I'll say first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to anything, the question. Anything. I think that it's what's, what I've noticed, and I feel like I've noticed, especially because I've had, you know, the journey of over 20 years in education. Yes. I think there are, there are periods of time where we roll out initiatives, or at least phrases, that help us to think a bit differently about the way we engage students in learning. Yes. But I don't think we take a deep enough dive into it, and so we don't quite we don't quite really get the richness of it. So one of the examples that comes to mind, differentiated instruction. When I first heard that term, I was like, oh no, this is going to be complicated. I can't teach all the children. Like, you know, like this feels hard. And I got students who are learning English in my class and students who have IEPs in my class. And I have no idea how to create a lesson that's going to engage, right? So I'm like, so that felt overwhelming, even though I believed that it was right, right? So I'm just like, okay, do I believe in differentiated instruction? Absolutely. Do I feel capable of it? No, right? because there wasn't a lot of professional learning around it. It was right. just like, this is just what you do without necessarily a preparation to do it. Right. I feel the same thing has happened with social emotional learning. Yeah. And if one of the biggest indicators of that is that they're the folks who are resistant, like who are like banning books and who are really talking about like taking, you know, anything about anti-racism or th- anti-bias out of the classroom, they've started to lump SEL in with it. And I'm like, okay, I see why you'd be uncomfortable about race. I don't agree with it, but I get where that fear comes from. Social emotional, I'm like, seriously? Like, you don't want children to be, like, well and able to be in the learning space and to be able to have, like, barriers to that learning removed and being considerate of the whole person, right? And so one of the best examples that I had heard, because I did, like, later in my career, I got to, you know, I started going to conferences, and I'm like, well, I need to learn more about SEL because people began to talk about it, but there wasn't 
there was sometimes be trainings, but it would stay surface level. Right. And I don't think white SEL. I think it was more so what I would see is like, you want children to be able to self-regulate and de-escalate so you can manage your classroom better. Right. And I'm like, I don't think it's about control of the children. Oh. I think it's supposed to be something different, but that's what, and I think that's the problem when you have people starting to train about something you don't deeply understand. Oh. It becomes something it's not supposed to be, right? Oh. So I went to another workshop and I was a little nervous, honestly, because I'm just like, I hope it's not another one of those, yeah. but it was actually a really good one. It was um, the National Network of State Teachers of the Year has an annual conference and at the, in this space, they have a National Teacher Leadership Conference. And so I went to an SEL workshop and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> because basically one of the things that the presenters put forward was, all right, imagine you're in a classroom and you have a child who is, who appears to be angry, right? What is your first thought? And everybody was honest. They were just like, I would feel like I have to calm them down. I might need to ask for help. I don't want things to escalate. I don't want this, however that child is feeling to throw the lesson off. And the facilitators were very patient. They listened, right? Because these are real things that we think about. Right. And so then they said, would it, okay. So say like, it, it did get to the point where the child like walked out of the classroom, punched the locker in the hallway. What are your feelings? Like, oh, this is a volatile child. We got to get this under control. It's usually, so it came a lot to control. Right. right. The, the presenter said, what if you found out that the child had just gotten a test back and they didn't do as well as they hoped to do on the test. And this was a child who might be in foster care whose foster family said, if you get another bad grade, I am giving you back to the system. Mm. How would you process that? And people were just like, oh, like if I knew that that was a story, I would approach it very differently. So I'm just right. like, okay. So when you could see the humanity of a child, it does make you approach them differently. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about an ego thing where we want kids to be compliant, right? Mm -hmm. It's really about every child being able to be whole and to be well, right? And what can we do to take any barriers that are within our locus of control out of the way to make sure that they do have access to those, not just the skills, because I think there was a lot of focus on like, we want kids to have these skills, right? I'm like, yeah, but we're teaching and we don't have the skills because they didn't teach us like this when we were little. Hello. So it's not about kids, it's about us too. Right? Like, what exactly. are we bringing to the situation, exactly. right? And so I think, so for me, I feel like this conversation is so pertinent because I feel like it's another example of us really needing to understand like what truly is social emotional learning, not like, you know, not just what like this graph might show you, but like, how does this play out in a classroom you know, in a variety of, of grade levels, right? And how do we make sure we're creating the, the type of learning environment that is whole for everybody? Variety of grade levels and full spectrum of interactions throughout the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel this is really about more like older students. And I know we're talking primarily about younger students, but I feel like it's a really good example. Um, I had had the opportunity to lead a group of folks through um, like reading. There's a not reading, but there was a documentary series called American Like Me. And it was like 10, 10 episodes. And it was basically studying this uh, profiling a district that's a bit outside of Chicago. This was probably about maybe five years ago such a really good depiction because they were showing like what was happening with students across the day, right? So, and so one of the examples was a student who was pretty regularly in trouble, right? He had gotten picked for a drama club. And he was like, I can't believe I picked for drama club because I'm usually, the, my reputation is I'm the kid that's always in trouble, right? And so he was getting ready to be in this performance. He was really excited about it. But because he got into an argument with um, another student, he was suspended 
and told he could not be on school property, which meant he would have to miss the performance. And the drama teacher was like, please, this is like, this is the thing that he's been looking for, right? He's felt so separate from this space, but this is making him feel a sense of belonging. This is giving him like contact with like friends. He is like, he's experiencing some joy, which he hadn't in, in I don't even know, but probably all of his years at that school. And because of, of a disagreement, and I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences. I don't actually even know what he did because that part wasn't part of the story. But I'm like, but the thing that he actually was taking to that would have helped him yes. is a thing you're telling him he can't have. And so I'm just like, what message is that, right? What message is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so many examples of things oh, like that. Oh, that just, uh, right? Sickening, sickening. It's just it's just such an old school mentality to to deprive of the one thing that the kid wants and responds yes just absolutely just old school old like 18th century just right and not really think about like is this getting you the outcome that you want no Actually, now he's more upset <laughs> now he's more upset There's it, doesn't that help. it doesn't help I'll send this to you as one of the resources because it's like, it's a Vimeo video that's so compelling and I've used it a lot in trainings. Okay. It's called The Red Folder. And I'm not gonna give away the whole thing because there's something that happens at the end where you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'm gonna send that to you so that you can like, so you can see it and, and that the listeners can take a look at it. But basically it's like the story of somebody similar to the student that I described, yes. where he's having an experience in a space. And as you see him telling his story, and what his experience has been like with a variety of people in the school, whether it be the secretary, the counselor, the PE teacher, the security, you know, school resource officer, you're seeing what his experience is in the school. And you're like, oh, okay. Like I thought he was just like a kid who, you know, who liked trouble. But as you see his story unfolding, you're like, oh, okay. Well, I understand why he might be having challenges in this space. And then there's something that happens at the end where you're like, wow okay and it's so it's like it's nothing like nothing no nothing traumatic or anything it's just really enlightening as to like how do we engage with students in our spaces right yeah right. I'll, I'll send that because i think it's very telling yeah. fabulous um what, what will the name of that be it's called the red folder red folder good good the red folder yeah yeah i'll send that to you yeah i mean I just, there's this one phrase that keeps coming back to me all the time now where uh, just making decisions with the end in mind. Yes, absolutely. You know, and yes. not just the end in five minutes, but the end in, you know, the end of the day, the end of the week, the end of the yes. year, the end yes. of, you know, childhood. Right. Yes. You know, what? what is the impact? And, and we can... I mean, you know, it's so much easier for me to think about that stuff now that I'm not in the classroom and now that, <laughs> and now that my kids are grown. Yes. But um, I will say that these kinds of concepts, I wasn't exposed to them. So maybe I like to think that I could have, you know, been stewing on some of these ideas. And that's that's why I'm here having these conversations. I feel the same way. It's hard. Like it is hard. It is hard. Because I'm like, I really do wish I could go back and like, and I'm like, can I, can I tell you, like, I'm still in touch Please. with a number of my students, yes. um, like social media and things like that. And sometimes yes. they say things that like blow my mind because like one of them, a couple of years, I think it was pre-pandemic. So it was a, maybe a few years ago now, yes. but you know how sometimes people put out the questions like, who was your best teacher and all this stuff. And yes. one of my students, so I'm like, 
I think she liked me, but I'm like, I, I didn't, she wasn't like someone who would come to mind as like, oh, like she really loved having me as her teacher. Yeah. But she was just like, yeah, she said a lot of times that people don't necessarily talk about their fifth grade teacher, but she said, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Mills was the best teacher I ever had. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I think back to who I was at that point and all that I did not know. And I'm just like, how could she feel it? <laughs> How could she feel that way? Because I could have done things so much better now that I know, like you said, now that I know. And I'm just like, yeah, but there's also, thankfully, there's also the relationship that yes. is so powerful as well. Yes. Because relationship building is not something that I've struggled with. Yeah. Um, thankfully, but also too, like when I think about like, you know, like instructional, you know, like moves and, you know, things that I would like to have done now. I'm like, oh, that would have been fantastic if I had done this differently, right? Yes. But um, it's helpful to know that the students, they, I don't think they, they don't, I don't think they think of us that way. <laughs> I think they think about how we made them feel. Absolutely. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do I remember anything from my uh, grammar school? I uh, can't say that I do. But I remember, yeah, I remember the fun stuff, like the things huh? I was saying as well, like reading Shakespeare and doing musicals and stuff, like fun oh, stuff. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. I was always a terrible student, which my listeners have heard over and over again. I was just... <laughs> Tell me more what you mean. So when you say terrible student, what were you like? Were you chatty? Were you, uh, what were you doing? I, it just, I kept wanting it to matter to me. Okay. You know, I was a dancer. I was super physical. Oh, you were moving. You were moving. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't uh, encouraged or allowed. Oh, so <laughs> sit down, sit down. Dance classes. I was good. Yes. You know? yes. So, yes. you know. These are all the challenges that teachers have besides the the racial equity and the and the abilities and disabilities and just yeah. you know what to do but yeah there's a I, lot I think you know that horizontal focus I mean the vertical focus instead of the horizontal where you were talking about what where is that humanity it's not in the eyeballs and the arms or the legs you know but right. and then that connection establishing that connection because it's absolutely I know I I had that with my it's so funny that I became a teacher because I was such a you know not a good student I wasn't I was a bad student but I just no, well you needed something else you needed something else that wasn't available for you completely right? and you know it was just so much fun to give that to my students it was so yeah. satisfying it was almost like I gave it to myself yeah that's how I felt too right yeah totally totally right <laughs> So it's so interesting how life works like that. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I mean, the, now, when you say that, I think about like when my, in my book, cause I taught fifth grade a couple of times and yes. in one of my, one of my um, experiences, I remember doing, I'm like, all right, I want them to have fun. Like I want learning to yes. be fun for them. So on Fridays, it was like when American Idol was pretty new, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm going to have like American Idol Fridays and I'm going to put the music standards up on the board. So if anybody comes in, like what standards are we focusing on? Those, the music standards, right? That's what we're doing. And so we'd have the kids like, you know, they were doing like light competing. Like it wasn't even that serious, but they really love singing. Yes. And then also too, to be able to have an opportunity, like sometimes I'd be like, all right, dance break. We're going to go down, we're going to do the cha-cha slide. And then we're going to go back to the classroom. And they loved it. They loved it so much. Oh, yes. And then we got to see like, all that. and I would do like reader's theater. And I'm like, you don't have to memorize the script. If you want to read it from the page, that's really okay. Mm -hmm. I just really wanted to do like engage them in different ways. Yes. And one of my favorite memories about that was that I had a student who was often being pulled out for um, services because of her IEP. 
And I noticed that because she didn't really get to spend as much time with our class, her academic self-esteem was on the lower side. Yes. And I was like, oh, that was breaking my heart because I'm yes. just like, oh, I know like how brilliant she is, but she doesn't see herself that way yes. because she keeps being pulled out for services. And so, but when we started doing the, um, the you know, the Rita's Theater and American Idol, she was a brilliant singer. Yes. She was an amazing dancer and she was really good with like, as far as like being able to take and read something and memorize it and portray it. Wow. She was talking about triple threat. I'm like, this girl, wow, right? Yeah. And so when, she, when her classmates started to see that side of her, yeah. they had so much respect. They were like, wow, she is so talented. And then I noticed like she just started to change when she was with us for math or reading. She started to volunteer more. Like, because she was valued. She saw that people valued her for the different, like, I'm like, yes, okay, maybe I might be having some challenges in math and with reading, but that's not all of who I am, right? right? Not right. just my struggle, and so it just made such a big difference. And that sounded like what you try to do for your students, give them a different type of experience with learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, I love doing um, open book tests. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And right. kids uh, didn't do well on the tests. Then I said, okay, then we're going to find out what you got wrong on this. And then we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to take the test again. Yes. Because this is, this is interesting stuff. And, and even if you don't think it matters, you'll feel good if you, if you get this. Yeah. And that's what this is about, you know? So yeah, I had fun in a lot of different ways too, you know? That, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's the piece too. When huh? we were talking about like what, what, what teaching with the outcome in mind or what right. are we heading for? Right. Is it we're trying to test the student's ability to memorize? Right. Or want them to comprehend and be thoughtful? Hello. Right. So I'm just what like, so then we distinction can you just Right. Memorization or comprehension? You contrasted those two things? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I worship you. Hello. It's I so was true, really... though, right? Huh? A it's so true. Oh my gosh. And yes. then you have relevance and irrelevance, you know? Right. Because when you comprehend something, you've digested it. Yes. Right? And I think about that too, because I'm like, I memorized things when I was a kid, but did it stick with me? Not at all. I had it for enough right. time to do, do well on the test. And then right. it was pretty much gone. Right. Right. Because right. I didn't really understand it. Right. I just wanted to perform well, you know? Right. right. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. good at that. I'm still not. Me I still, either. Yes, you were. No, well, no, I was going to say as far as like, no, with the, like the, with memory, like that type of like being able to perform well on tests. Like when I was in student, in, in class, yes. But when it came time for like standardized tests, yeah. oh, like on the SAT, I did so badly both times that I took it. When wow. I took the GRE, I did well in parts that I like in quantitative analysis. I'm like, that must've just been some good guessing because I'm like, that is not a strength <laughs> <laughs> that I think of myself as having, right? So I think in, with some places where I've had to like, you know, like be able to memorize that. I'm like, no, but if you get me to write it down and yeah. kind of like with ideas, I'm like, I do much better when I can explain, right? Yeah. When I can engage. Yeah, yeah. yeah, chew on it. Yes. <laughs> I think this is, you know, I couldn't have had this conversation a couple of decades ago because I, I felt so badly about the yeah. fact that I couldn't pass those tests. Yes. You know, and it took me a long time to notice that, you know, maybe I had other strengths. Just, yes. it, oh, I've been digging myself out of that hole for a long time. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. such a, it's such a, 
Yeah, it's such a sad thing. We mustn't do that to the students today. No, and I think about it too, like, so I was, when I graduated from high school, I was a baby because my parents, they like, they, they like falsified my birth certificate to get me into first grade early. And I think the principal knew she was just like, just go ahead, let her be five in first grade, fine. Yeah. And then I skipped the eighth grade. And so when I was graduating from high school, I was just turning 16. Wow. And so I'm like, there was just like a really like, oh my gosh, like I, I, you know, I felt like so many people in my family, of course, they were just like, oh, you're so smart you're so smart I'm yeah. like I didn't I didn't like the compliment though because it felt yeah. like it was separating me out from my cousins and siblings I'm like I didn't really yeah. that didn't feel good yeah but when I went I spent my first year at Brooklyn College and I remember being in a class where I was struggling and they had tutoring services and I was like no I can't I can't go to tutoring because that would mean I'm not smart if I need help Right. But then I, but then my desire to do well in this class over like, oh, it was an override for me. I'm like, right, let me just go to tutoring and see what happens. Yeah. And it was such a relief because I'm like, yeah. I needed the help. Yeah. Right. And so I think that like, kind of like we're talking about when we focus on yeah. grades and memorization right. and right. smarts, like right. as if it's like a stamp you get or don't get, right. then it, it doesn't make you feel like you want to lean into the learning. Whereas having the tutor was such a rich experience for me because they were able to spend time with me and help me to understand things that I didn't in a way that I didn't understand in class. Yeah. And I ended up doing much better in the class than I would have without it. Yeah. But I think I had to overcome that perception that asking for help meant not smart. That's right. Big. That's big, yeah. big, big, yeah. big. Yeah. Yeah. Asking yeah. for help. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Africa. Um, <laughs> what um, more do you want us to know? I'm going to include the article that I read that you wrote that made me really reach out to you and want to know you more. And yeah. um, <laughs> all expectations exceeded. This has been such a joy. Oh, it's been a wonderful. <laughs> conversation uh, what more would you like us to know or yeah I think the thing that I would like to say to listeners is just to really be a source of encouragement because right now like things are so heavy and they have been for a long time right mm -hmm. like I think even like pre-pandemic things you know I remember there just being so much about like you know so much pressure on teachers and you know so much like lack of support of teachers and it being such a hard you know, such a hard role to continue to be in because it's just like, yeah, we're doing really hard work and just being criticized because of test scores or being yeah. criticized because of all these things. It's like, it's a lot to yeah. carry and then add the pandemic on top of that. And then, add, you know, and, and how that's changed the world in so many ways and changed the teaching profession. And then looking at all the legislation, especially for someone who is really committed to teaching children the truth and really engaging students meaningfully yeah. and teaching them to have critical, you know, thinking skills and yes. to engage in a beautiful way, right? And, and yes. when it comes to learning, yes. there's so much that works against that right now. And so like, when I look at the news and the, the shortages that we're seeing advertised of different cities where they're like, we have 900 openings, we yeah. have 700 openings and it's August now, right? Yeah. And so what I really wanna say is some words of encouragement just to really, I'm, I'm not saying like, none of these words are gonna like fix it, right? Yeah. So I'm not trying to allege that I'm gonna say some magic thing that's gonna be like, everything's fine. Cause that's, that's a process. But I really just really want to say to folks who are engaged in the lives of children, whether it be as a family member or friend or classroom teacher or coach, however you're engaging with children, just I really would encourage folks to just really try to find and hold on to your community of people that help to encourage you um, because there's lots of negativity, right? And, the, and I feel like, unfortunately, the way that the world is constructed is that the more negative voices get the most press, they yeah. get the most attention, right? 
but that's not, I really don't believe that that's the majority of people at all. And so there's one concept that I talk about in my book a bit that I was, that was referred to from someone who I'd asked, who I'd interviewed for the book. And it was an article by Jennifer Gonzalez called, um, I think like Find Your Marigold. It was in the Cult of Pedagogy um, in that, in that um, I think it's like, it's like an online periodical. And that concept around like marigolds is like, you know, that marigolds can be a protective flower or plant, like as plants are trying to grow and blossom without being attacked by weeds and without being attacked by insects. If you plant marigolds around them, that they can keep that plant life safe. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, so try your best to find your marigolds because there's lots of naysayers, yes, mm-hmm. and lots of negativity, but that's not the only people. Those are not the only people out there. There are people who are rooting for you, who believe in you, who are ready to support you, who can commiserate with what it feels like to teach right now and try as much as possible to find and hold on to that community because we need each other, right? Like trying to do all this work in isolation, it's it's we're not gonna be able to sustain it without each other. So I think like finding our people and growing those communities of folks to support one another is critical right now mm-hmm. um, because we need to, we really just do need each other, right? Uh-huh. And I think it's really important to be reminded that thing that you said kind of early in this little thing that you were saying is that the 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 negativity is actually the minority just because it's louder. Yes. We have yes. to remember that. Yes. We have to remind ourselves and remind each other. Yes. That the, yes. the 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 destructive element and it is a destructive element it very destructive seems intentional and yes. we don't need to go there but right it, it is yeah. and um yeah and so what you just said about being very intentional to get those marigolds around us to get that that healthy environment that we create with and for and each other and for ourselves yes so, it's critical critical. And I'm like, and I, I, I volunteer, right. I volunteer as Marigold, right. Like it's really so important to me to, to let, like, you know, for us to let one another know it's like in times of, of, of adversity, we have to let each other know that we're here for each other. Right. So I think about di- different things like, you know, during the times of abolition or during, during like when the underground railroad was taking place yeah. and people were escaping enslavement and there were people who like left lanterns out or quilts out or provided safe haven or escape. Like we need to find each other yeah. and be like, yeah, I got you. I got you. Let's, we can do it. We just have to support each other. Right. Yeah. And so I don't mean that it's easy, but I do mean that it's doable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think easy is overrated. People I think get, so too. Huh? I, think, I, I agree with you. I, I say, I think so too. People get flabby with easy. You know, I see people who just, <laughs> I see people just, it's, you know, it's just like, I, I do. that used to be me. And it was just like, ew, right? you know, after a while, I mean, yeah, we need a break and we need to go to the beach sometimes, you know, yeah, yeah but, but, but we don't know, live on the beach, right? We don't live on the beach. Right, right. And, uh, you know, life, you know, I mean, please don't think of it as just, just as a cliche, but you know, the challenges are where we get strong, you know? It's so true. And, you know what came to mind just now when you were saying resistance? Yeah. I've had physical therapy before and I think about resistance bands. Yes. And it's like, yes, you are pushing against resistance, but it is making you stronger, right? Like you were saying, For sure. right? That's how you get stronger. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. And I think to want to live in that growth of strength, is something to put the attention on, you know, and I'm, and I don't mean to be preachy, but I am speaking from a life experience of trying to be the delicate flower. And it's just, yeah, because that's like, if you're delicate, then you're not able to hold up. 
when yeah. things are at or contribute right? or contribute. I, that's a really good point, right? Yeah. Not only hold up but contribute. Yes, right. I agree. I agree. Well, <laughs> it's been so wonderful spending time with you. So wonderful, Africa. So yeah. wonderful. Um, so you're going to give me some resources that I'm going to include in the show's notes. I definitely. And, uh, will. Please remember what you were just talking about because it went so fast. I wasn't. Oh, uh, I got it. I got okay. like I have it right in mind. Yep, okay. I know. Okay. Wonderful. Right. Um. Oh, I hate to let go of you, but hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it again. Let's just do it again another time. Please, please, we'll really, we'll if you going. get other topics that you know, because we can relate it all to social emotional learning. Absolutely, no, I'm I'm really genuinely open to that. Fabulous. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love you. Thank you for this time. Love me too. Love you too. And you have a wonderful rest of the day. And I'll be in touch with the resources. Good. Fabulous. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Whoa, how is that for some positive energy? I love that woman and what she's bringing. I hope you'll check out her website, her Instagram, and all the other social media platforms where she's bringing all kinds of meaningful and enriching knowledge for you to help grow kids into what they see as their own true potential. Thank you again for being here. And of course, if you haven't yet, you know we'd love you to join us on the Facebook page for this podcast. That link is also in this show's notes. Uh, on that Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast Facebook page, you can connect with me, make suggestions for topics you'd like covered, responses to conversations in our episodes, and whatever else you can think of. Okay, see you soon, I hope. Bye.